You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Go Wild is a free social community created for and by hunters. This means that unlike mainstream social media, your trophy pictures won't be censored. They're encouraged. As you spend time on Go Wild, you will earn awesome rewards such as gift cards, free swag, and big discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex. You will even earn $10 just for signing up. Visit DownloadGoWild.com and sign up today. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin-cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Ladies and gentlemen, it is time for another episode of the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. I'm your host, Dan Johnson, and today you're in for a treat. The host of the Wired to Hunt podcast, Mark Kenyon, longtime buddy of mine, is on the podcast today, and we are going to continue a conversation that we started last week about cold fronts, the impact of early season cold fronts, um, and right now we're coming to the tail end of what I would call the early season, right? We're going from this early season bed to food pattern into what some might call the October lull. My trail cameras just continue to show more deer movement and more deer movement and more deer movement every single week. And so uh, we're, we're coming out of the early season. We're going into this October lull timeframe. And like I said, I just wanted to continue this episode with Mark. He's really detailed about how he how he speaks on this topic. He talks uh, about the properties that he hunts. We talk about the impact a cold front has on different parts of the country, on different par- uh, properties, whether it is a, um, a highly managed property versus a public land spot. Uh, we talk about pressure. We talk about um, precipitation. We talk about temperature drop. We talk about food sources. All the things that really play a role in deer behavior and deer movement this type of year and whether or not uh, cold fronts impact them equally the same. You'll hear, you'll hear Mark use an interesting word, and that's uh, a property baseline, right? And so can a, uh, the, these baselines on different properties are different, right? Obviously, a highly managed property is going to have a higher baseline of deer movement, and when that cold front comes, then you're going to see elevated deer um, you know, deer movement. Same thing on, uh, on public ground. He feels that there's a lower baseline on highly, you know, uh, highly pressured ground, let's just say. And then, but 
when a cold front comes through, you will still see elevated deer movement. And so we get into a conversation about his thoughts and my thoughts that mine are a little bit different than, than his. Uh, and I'm sure that you, if you listen to the first part of this conversation that I did with Jeremy Dinsmore, I did, I, I felt like I did a good job explaining, um, why I'm not a huge believer in uh, cold fronts this time of year. Um, and, and me and Mark, we talk about this, uh, Mark and I, excuse me, uh, Mark and I, we talk about this particular podcast that came, what was it last week or the week before where it was literally, it fell on a Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And so we talk about if the hype for this cold front would have been the same or less if it landed on a Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And uh, I feel like, like I'll just tell you right now, I, I just don't feel the hype uh, of a weekday cold front would be. And, I, and here, actually, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read some t- statistics for you from a poll that I took on, um, let me pull that, those numbers up, on a poll. Um, and here, here is the poll. Uh, I asked four questions and then I got a percentage. So question number one was, did you hunt the this past cold front? And it was 70 to 30, basically, okay? 70% of people said, yes, they hunted the cold front. 30% of the people said no, okay? The next question I asked was, did you see a shooter? And I guess it's up to you to determine, determine what a shooter was, okay? Um, then what we have is a, uh, what was it? It was, it was a 30, it was flipped. 30% said, uh, yes, 70% said no. Okay. The next question was, did you kill a deer? Right. The next, so, and that was a a 20% a 20% no or a 20% yes no no yeah 20% yes and 80% no okay and then the last question was if this cold front would have landed on a Tuesday Wednesday Thursday basically midweek would you have hunted it and it was 80% no and uh, 20% yes. Uh, 80% no, 20% yes. So the timing of this cold front uh, really played an impact on how many people went out. All right. And so of that initial 70%, and, and granted, this isn't like thousands and thousands of people, this is a, a pretty small sample size. But of that 70% that said they hunted, of those people would not have hunted that cold front if it landed on a Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. So the cold front really got people out in the timber uh, this year. And so if I'm looking at these numbers purely on a science, like on a, on a strategy and a, you know, a statistical, uh, if I was going to base my, my, uh, whether or not I'm going to hunt based off of these numbers right here. I would say that statistically early season cold fronts don't matter too much, right? But everybody else seems to think that an early season cold front uh, 
you know, has has a huge impact on on deer movement. And and whether that is daylight deer movement, let's say. And so I don't know, man. I and we get into the impact of like and I have my thoughts on this as well, but in this episode we have a really good conversation about, you know, like the managed land versus, you know, I I strongly believe that the it's weighted towards who's going to benefit this, the people that have the highly managed properties. They can sit uh, on a food source, green food source, probably specifically, or if they have, I don't know, a food plot of acorn trees, which seemed to be a big hit this fall as far as people talking about it. But when I was coming out of the timber uh, the past this past weekend and I was driving home, all of the deer were on alfalfa fields, green grass, and things like that. And so, um, yeah, they were munching on, on brows, but in the staging areas that I was at, man, they were just kind of munching on their way through on their way to some kind of green. Uh, so anyway, that is, that's the, the statistics. We talk about all that in today's episode. I'm just repeating myself now. So let's get into the commercials, man. I'm going to run through these real quick because, uh, I, 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 first off, I don't skip this because, these people who are paying me money to advertise on this podcast, um, they pay my bills, man. And, and so they are what keeps this content free. Right. And so I would appreciate if you would listen to, listen to these and then go, go and, uh, check out some of these companies, take a look at their products. Maybe they fit you. Maybe they don't, but I'd say go check them out. And, uh, some of these I've actually had some, um, experience with now so the tethered first thing i'm going to say is go if you're looking to get into saddle hunting or you want to learn more about saddle hunting tetherednation.com but i will say that i messed around with the lockdown this uh, uh this weekend it's their new saddle and i'll say this it was a huge it was very convenient having those big pockets on the side that all i had to do was drop down reach in for a screwing step or reach for whatever I needed as I'm hanging up, pull my stand off my back. I mean, it was, it was easy setting it up. So go check out that wasp broadheads, man. Uh, I'm really looking forward to unleashing one of those through the vitals of a, a buck or a doe this, uh, this upcoming season. And so, uh, man, if you're looking for a really well-built broadhead, majority, majority of their heads are still made in America. Go check out wasparchery.com discount code NFC 20 for 20% off vortex optics, had the range finder out, had the, uh, binos out, uh, with the triumph HD binos out this, uh, this past weekend flawless, man. I mean, great in low light. They are, they are like amazing optics this upcoming weekend. When I leave for South Dakota, I'm going to have the spotter in hand. Same, you know, I'm going to have, uh, some binoculars range finder and, uh, and my spotting scope, obviously. So that's coming with me. Vortexoptics.com. Take a look at their VIP warranty. It's amazing company, amazing people. Code Blue Sense, man. Um, I finally am starting to get some pictures of some deer on uh, the trail cameras that I have set over my mock scrapes that I used with the Rope-A-Dope system. Uh, I am starting to get some pictures, um, and even the I ran out of uh, 
rope or the, the rope, the blue rope that comes with that system. However, I've been taking that orbital gland and I've been rubbing it on some uh, upper branches uh, and uh, scraping, just using my foot to make some scrapes and then putting a trail camera over there. Uh, it seems to be a hot, as of this area right now, it seems to be a hot topic of discussion for the does. I'm getting a lot of pictures of does coming in and smelling it and identifying the scrape. And all I did was just kind of pee in the scrape. Uh, I left my uh, my synthetic sense in the, oh crap, in the, um, in the truck. But uh, what I will say is that I'm starting to get a lot of pictures. And where the does are, the bucks will, will follow. And so I can't wait to hop in there one of these days and hunt over one of these scrapes and get a picture of a giant, you know, working that licking branch uh so codebluesense.com discount code nfc20 for 20 percent off uh the woodman's pal this weekend when i was uh putting up some trail cameras and and i needed to hack some weeds i had the woodman's pal with me uh to chop little branches to clear out areas it's an awesome habitat tool to keep in your truck or keep uh you know in your pack woodmanspal.com uh, these guys have been around since like the 1940s american made product durable as all get out i mean i beat the shit out of mine uh so go uh look into that and last last but not or it's not last but not least huntworth all right so huntworth uh i had the opportunity to wear their clothes this weekend and i will say this i'm always skeptical of base layers because if they're not made right their base layer base layers will itch they will make you uncomfortable and you just you lose focus in the woods because you're you're just moving around too much i'm gonna say this the huntworth base layers are the shit uh very comfortable very breathable kept me warm kept me dry and wicked the moisture away when i was you know setting up this weekend and at the same time uh i was wearing a vest a, sh uh, a shell an outer shell and uh, a pair of solid colored pants those pants are very comfortable very comfortable and one thing i like about the pants uh the solid colored pants that they have is on the inside of the waistline there's like a rubber grip so that when you tuck your shirt in your pants actually keeps your shirt down and your pants don't fall down it's like so you don't necessarily need a belt if you order the right size of pants uh so that's that was cool all their shirts also one one big thing i hate when i'm wearing a shirt and they don't have the thumb holes or the thumb straps to keep your sleeves all the way down that's a must-have for me and they have that so uh, go check out huntworthgear.com and uh, basically read up on all of their uh, early mid and late season options so all right. Oh, last but not least, Full Sneak Gear, company I started. If you're looking, for, we just introduced a, a stocking cap. We got the Nine Finger Chronicles hat. We have the uh, three or four different t-shirt options right now. And as we get closer to Christmas, I will be releasing more products and then uh, go spend your money there too. So fullsneakgear.com. Uh, if you guys want to be on the podcast you want to share your story if you're some sort of professional deer biologist or you know a thing or two about a thing or two hit me up via instagram i would love to i chat with anybody on this podcast and i would really appreciate it if you would reach out to me also if you want to talk about hunting gear and equipment do me a favor and get a hold of me and we can 
we can get on the hunting gear podcast as well. Talk about your experiences there. Other than that, let's get into today's cold front continuation episode with my man, Mark Kenyon. Three, two, one. Ladies and gentlemen, to continue this cold front conversation, I brought in deer hunting expert, Mark Kenyon. Mark, how we doing, man? Hey, buddy. Not used to you calling me a deer hunting expert, but I can get used to it. (laughs) (laughs) I wonder, like, you know how doctors can go get certificates to be specialized in something? Do you think there's any deer hunting expert uh, classes that we could go to be, to become certified. We, we should figure that out. Maybe we can make that yeah. class dance so we can be the official arbiters of who is an expert. Or not. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the closest thing to that is, uh, the national deer association does have a deer steward course. So you can become mm-hmm. a certified deer steward level one or two. Uh, which Do they... means you at least have to have a really, if you go through that, you will have a strong base of knowledge about, Okay. biology of deer habitat of deer and, and some basic things so that might be a, a foundational thing you could check off so is there a we i think we would have to alter it right because uh the steward the stewardship program that they offer a lot of that revolves around like deer biology uh-huh. and habitat right yep okay so we would have to add in something like a what would dequisto do type of mm-hmm. or what would dan infault do in in these scenarios yeah add like, that add that portion like one of the screening questions would be if you have got to take a dump and you're up in the tree do you sky dump <laughs> or do you climb down duh <laughs> duh and that's that's like a pass fail question yeah. right if you answer it correctly <laughs> man like who gets down out of the tree anymore, man, with all this technology that we have today. Dude, I'm so glad that you don't have a cameraman with you anymore. Cause that would just be a horrible <laughs> Some, or, or you know how, you know, uh, lately. And I, when I, when I say lately, I mean like in the past, I don't know, five years, there's been a lot of camera guys turning on the, uh, on the the people that they're filming and like, Hey, this is, you know, I've filmed this guy poach a deer. I filmed him do this, you know, uh, and I get blackmailed for pooping out of a tree stand. Yeah, man. You're, you're, you're lucky that that was deep in your past before, before this is all the rage. Yep. I, I honestly think that a scenario like that, where, where it would, the title would be Mark Kenyon poops from tree stand. I feel like that would just give a person more street cred with the the average Joes of the the hunting world. If you're trying to go viral, that's a pretty good way to do it. <laughs> oh man! Uh, so you have one deer in the dirt already this year, right? Yes, sir. Oh man, did that well, feel two. good shooting in two? If you count it, I got a doe. I've got a buck and a doe now. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Nobody cares about does, man. Come on. Unless, unless you're like a professional wildlife, uh, wild game cook, I mean, right? Am I wrong? Am I right? I would say you're wrong. It's good I'm wrong. Okay. Right. Good to shoot does. It uh, is. We got right. to manage those populations. And I will also right. say, I know you're kidding, but I'll also say that, uh, man, it, it was great to shoot that doe right out the gate just to get, you know, get that, go through that whole thing again, right? I think yeah. every time you shoot yeah. deer, you get a little bit better at it. And there's no better way than, than targeting some does. So yeah. 
but yes, I'm, I'm proud yeah. of that dough. Dude, I'm, I'm with you a hundred percent. Like we we've talked about this so much though. How do you get comfortable shooting deer by shooting deer? Yeah. Right. And so, um, and then your buck was both, were both of them in Wisconsin? Yep. Both were in Wisconsin okay. in back-to-back days. Man, that, that's got to feel good. I mean, that's, that's a, just a straight up fun hunt. It was, it really was. Yeah. It was, uh, cool learning a new property, um, in a short period of time. I enjoyed that challenge and, you know, found just a dynamite little spot that, uh, that set up really well for that time of year. And I was able to take advantage of it. So, uh, yeah, felt great to get a couple deer early, knock the rust off and, um, hopefully build some momentum leading into the rest of the year. Right. Well, that's awesome, man. Congratulations. And I hope, uh, your luck continues, you know, in Michigan. I know you, I know you're just like paper thin close to getting on your target animal in Michigan, man. So I'm, uh, I'm pulling for you there. Yeah, man. He's, uh, as these local deer usually do, they, they keep me, uh, up late at night thinking about what to do with them. And, yeah. you know, I, I'm always thinking about different ways to try to catch up to them. And, and this year I'm, mm-hmm. I'm taking, I think I'm going to take a new approach, do some of the things I've done in the past that haven't worked super well and shift it up, right. try something new. So that's yep. the game plan here. Yep. Forward. You know, I, I talked to a guy earlier this week, um, and he mentioned that he went through what he called a little hunting fatigue. And so he went through like a, um, a portion of, time where he was just like he was he was just like going through the motions and he wasn't doing anything outside of the box which led him to some stagnant years and I think what you're doing and just trying new strategies and and being you know being to to fail on some of that stuff is going to be a uh, you know I feel like I feel like it's uh it's a good thing to do every once in a while I apologize, Dan. I lost you for like 20 seconds there. Yeah, that's cool, man. All I all I did was basically say that. Um, uh, what did I say? I said that you know sometimes you got to you get a you get fatigue. You get you have to go outside of the box from doing the same thing over and over and over and throw a curveball at these deer every once in a while. And and, and dude, I I found that throwing curveballs sometimes really does catch the deer off guard. Yeah, and and to your point, it's good for the hunting and it's good for you, mm-hmm. the hunter, to switch it up yep. a little bit to try those new things. It's it's definitely easy to get stuck in a hunting rut, like find what you're comfortable yep. with and just do that yep. over and over again. And yeah, that might work, um, but man, I, I think you've probably seen this too. Like over the years, it's when you put yourself outside of your comfort zone, maybe travel to a new place or try a new technique yeah. or whatever it is. Like that's when you actually grow as a deer hunter and usually take Absolutely. those next steps. That's a fact. All right. I kind of want to get right into the meat and potatoes of this episode because, man, I made a post, and this this is a continued conversation from last week where I talked with Jeremy Dinsmore of the Antler Up podcast. Um, and if I'm going to put a label on him, he's a big woods buck, um, hunts very little ag, and um, no no food plots type of hunter and we had this conversation about cold fronts right and so i want to i want to have a conversation with you continued about these cold fronts and and what your experiences are but before we get into that portion of it are you familiar 
with the whether it's um, you know Bronson and Mississippi State uh, uh, deer uh, deer research and things like that, which were things like. Uh, you know, like moon phase, right? Moon phase does not impact total deer movement, yeah. right? And, and and things like certain weather uh, events don't uh, impact total deer movement in a 24-hour period. Yeah. However, some may argue that it will increase or decrease daylight activity, okay? And so that's really what I want to talk about today is the, like, what, a cold front actually means in the early season who it benefits the most like is it a southern guy is it a midwestern guy is it an egg guy is it a big woods guy and really and really try to um clear up this are are hunting cold fronts worth it basically and so i want to just ask that really big question to you right out of the gate yeah so are cold fronts worth hunting and okay. the answer is an unequivocal Hell yes. Um, yeah, without a doubt. And okay. I've hunted cold fronts in places with ag. I've hunted them in, cold, in farm country. I've hunted them in the south. I've hunted them in the north. I've hunted them in the west. I've hunted them to the east. I've done the big woods. I've done the Great Plains. I've done Texas Hill Country. I've done the swamps of, you know, the south, pretty darn close to it at least. I've seen it all, and I've experienced mm-hmm. cold fronts in all those places. And it is always a good thing. I've, I've okay. yet to see a cold front not produce, you know, a positive bump in deer activity. So that's the okay. short answer. Okay. So how how do we have a conversation about this? Because up until this year, all of my experiences have shown that it does not increase deer movement uh, enough for me to get into the woods like really my trip yep dude i'm telling you the truth my my trail cameras other than this year when i sent you that picture that's that giant that i'm after yep right other than this year and, and that is a he's a daylight walker but he's not really in an area where i would i would have been able to hunt it i mean north wind this that north wind would go right to his bedding area because he's walking into the wind anyway that that's beside the point but trail camera data and um, just time in the woods has shown for me and my experiences that hunting a first week, second week cold front in October is not worth it, right? Okay. So and it's, it's just based off of experience and trail camera data and, you know, just watching deer move in the I don't know, in their natural environment from, from the farms that I have access to. And so even that, even that new farm that I talked to you about that had all the studs on it last year in a three day window. And I have, I have my trail cameras in what I would say are some of the best little pinches and stuff in that, uh, in that not one mature buck on trail camera in that period of time. Now that yes, there was some doe movement, but nothing that just jumped out and be like, Holy cow, this, this day so how do we either agree to disagree or come up with a united like comment about cold fronts mother's day is around the corner find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from blue nile from timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones blue nile has something she'll adore 
Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Here's the thing, the key thing about thinking about the cold front impact, Dan, is that cold fronts will not get deer to do something they're not already wanting to do. At, exactly. At a certain time of year. Mm-hmm. What it can do is make them do the thing they already want to do maybe a little bit earlier in the day or maybe a little yes. bit later in the morning. So, mm-hmm. you know, if I don't know where your cameras are set up. I don't know what kind of spots you're hunting. But, you know, in the early season, if a cold front comes through on October 8th or October 15th or something like that, and if your cameras are set up on pinch points and – you know, rut locations, because that's when you're usually going to hunt. I would not expect to see a whole bunch of daylight activity in those kinds of spots on October 15th, because that's not what yep. the deer want to do on October 15th. What deer want right. to do on October 15th are move from their bedding area to their top attractive food source at that time. Mm-hmm. Right. So right. that said, if I had a camera set up next to an apple tree on October 15th or underneath a white oak that's raining acorns, um, yeah. I sure as heck would believe that there would be, you know, maybe a little bit earlier movement on those cold front days coming to that food source. Or maybe yeah. if there's been a mature buck who's been nocturnal all the time, at least in the locations that I have cameras, um, right. that cold front might be the day he moves 10 minutes earlier than usual and comes out in daylight. So again, a cold front's not going to make deer do something outside of the normal it just might get them moving a little bit earlier because right this isn't changing patterns it's simply making deer more comfortable getting up on their feet sooner they're feeling that urge to feed a little bit more um changes in weather changes in conditions typically will lead to a a bump or a change in that activity time frame but it doesn't make a whole brand new paradigm so right you still got to be on that usual pattern for the time of year. Um, and I do think like where you're looking for deer movement is going to influence how much of a change you're going to see as well. So it's like, yeah. if all someone's doing is monitoring field edges mm-hmm. and if you're in a pressured area, there might not be very much movement at all on the field edges in daylight because the deer know that daylight activity on the field edge equals danger. Um, yeah. and that might not change with a cold front. If you are hunting a place where there's low hunting pressure and you're monitoring field edges, let's say with cameras or hunting, um, if there's low hunting pressure, maybe there is activity on those field edges and you're seeing does and young bucks and the occasional three-year-old. But when that big cold front comes through and you've got an oak tree on the edge of that field, that might be the night that the old buck is, you know, able to close the distance and get to that edge just before daylight. And that's the night he shows. So yeah, the way I look at cold fronts, and maybe I'm getting ahead of myself, so tell me to shut up if you want, Dan. But the way I look at them is that it might move things up 15 minutes for me. And so mm-hmm. if I'm trying to ch- – if if I can't hunt every day or if it's not smart for me to hunt every day, let's say, and I've got to pick my shots, and I know, like, man, I want to hunt that oak tree because I know there's a lot of acorns on the ground, and I know that's close to a buck's bedroom, and I know I can get in there with a north wind. Um, now I just need to wait for the right conditions, and if I have – a warm weather day with the right conditions or I have the cold front day that's 20 degrees cooler with conditions and I'm thinking all right well which of these two days is going to be a better chance to see that deer 
I'm always going to pick that cold front day because that might get him moving 10 minutes sooner or five yeah. minutes sooner or 15 minutes sooner. And that often can make the difference between killing an old deer and not killing an old deer. Um, we're yeah. seeing 10 deer versus seeing two deer. Um, okay. So would you say that cold fronts are weighted differently? Let's say you have a managed property with food and low pressure versus a, um, either a, another private piece that is, has a lot of hunters on it or public, um, that like a public, some public has food, has food plots in it for the wildlife. And, uh, and you know, you could potentially catch a, a bed to food pattern in, in that, but you're now you're playing with uh, a little bit higher pressure scenario. Yeah. So do you think they're, they're weighted different and you will see a greater result on different property types? So I don't think it's the cold front impact that's different. I think okay. the baseline is different. Yep. So imagine like your baseline of possible activity you would see on that pressured private land is here. And the yep. baseline of deer activity you might see in the pressured public is, is a lot, is a notch lower. And then maybe yep. your baseline of movement on your unpressured private is a couple notches higher. Yep. I think all of that just gets bumped a little bit with the cold mm -hmm. run. So it's like, yeah, give, give me plus 10 points for the private land, plus 10 points for the public land, plus 10 points for the pressure ground. But you will see a different level of movement, right? Not because the cold yep. front impacts differently, but just because like the pressured public is different. So gotcha. yeah. So like the amount of impact you see on the pressured public land, it's not, you're not going to necessarily see the gangbusters, incredible deer movement that the guy two miles away on the private unpressured ground is going to see. That's not because cold fronts impact private land differently than public. That's because all these other impacts on public land are impacting the action you see and the number of deer that are out there and the number of deer that feel safe moving in locations you can hunt. So I think yeah. across the board, a cold front will give you a boost. It's going to move movement up earlier. But mm -hmm. if on public land, if those deer are already moving only after dark and now they get the cold front, Maybe they're still, maybe they're moving more, maybe they're moving closer to daylight, but if the pressure's so much, they might still not be out on the field where you're hunting or out in the open area you're hunting or whatever it is. So yeah. the level of what you can see or the amount of activity you're seeing could be different because yeah. of that pressure impact. Does that make sense? Okay. Yep. Yep. Now, same question, but different parts of the United States, right? Let's say cold front comes through the South. It goes from 90 to 70. Uh, same cold front comes through the Midwest. It goes from 70 to 50. Yeah. All right. Same, same temperature drop. Do you think that region, uh, re different regions of the United States are weighted different or does a cold front, is it equally distributed across the U S so what I've seen from my experience, and, and then also just talking to people, you know, we do this thing on Wired Hunt every Wednesday. It's called Rough Fresh Radio, where we talk to four or five different hunters across the country, different places every week during the hunting season. So we're hearing from people from many, many different states, all throughout the season. And what I've picked up from those folks and from my own experience is that a cold front is a cold front. The actual temperature doesn't matter so much as what the change in temperature is. Yeah. So a, temp a temperature change from 90 to 70 is great, even though 70 degrees sounds pretty darn warm. 
Um, right. It's that 20 degree change that's really the thing. So if I get yeah. a 20 degree change from 70 to 50 or from 50 to 30 or from 90 to 70, whatever it is, I'm pretty happy about it because that 20 degrees is a significant shift in the world that those deer live in. So I'm always yeah. looking for what that relative change is. Um, yeah. So, you know, we recently had a cold front pass through here in Michigan, everywhere, right? Everyone had that big front. Yep. And it was really, really hot leading into that. So it was mm-hmm. in the 80s for a lot of people. And then it dropped down to 65 that first couple of days. And 65 doesn't sound like amazing. Um, that still sounds kind of warmish. But because it was like a 25 degree temperature drop, it was like, whoa, this is a big change. This is that first big change. And I think that sent a lot of a lot of deer moving a little bit more and a little bit sooner. And a lot of deer yeah. died because of it. Um, yeah. So that, that, I would say, is consistent in Texas, to North Dakota, to Montana, to Mississippi. You're going to see that impact. Um, but again, how much of that is illuminated by daylight and, and available for you to take advantage of will be determined by what's the pressure it will be determined by like what are the kind of places you're hunting you know if you're hunting spots that deer just don't want to move in daylight regardless whether it's cold front or not you're not going to see the cold front bump right. so it's just like we talk about the october lull and how the october lull is a myth right um and and it is right there's not an actual decrease in deer movement deer movement is steadily increasing through october but if people aren't in the right places or if people aren't adjusting they're never going to see that rise. So people end up right. having a lull because they're just not adjusting right. Well, I think the yeah. same thing is true with a cold front. If you're not making the right adjustments to take advantage of that cold front, you're not going to see the the, pos- the possible positives. Um, yeah. And again, like a cold front is not magic either. It's not just going right. to all of a sudden make everything amazing. You got to be doing everything right already to see that you know 5% boost in the cold front impact or whatever it is. So I think that folks should look at all these different condition variables, temperature, um, wind, precipitation, time of year, whatever it is, like all these things impact deer movement to some degree, but none of them will take you from like zero to hero. All these things might give it like, well, there's a 4% chance better that the bucks can move early now. And this thing might bump things up 10% and being in the right location is going to bump things up 30% 30% and being out there at the right time is going to bump things up 10% and you stack all these things. And that's how you eventually have that miracle of miracles where you are in the right time in the right place when the buck comes through. Yeah. Um, the October law, I kind of want to expand or, well, so do you feel that, and I want to take the last we actually, I want to take somewhere between the 20 and 25th of October Yeah, and and beyond i want to take that out of this conversation right because duh right i mean obviously hunting gets better as october comes through but as we go in from early season into the lull period of the year i just i even hate saying it out loud right by me saying it out loud i like i admit that it is that it exists right but and i don't so anyway um do you think that a cold front coming through uh, the first week of October versus the second week of October or in that, you know, that 10 to 15 time frame versus the the first to the 10th. Does a cold front hit harder that second week or the first week, you think? So that's a great question. And I'm not sure I have the answer to that. But my intuition 
and and again like general vibes that i feel like i've picked up over the last 15 years of talking to a ton of really good deer hunters is that that very first big cold front of the fall does seem to like have a, a bigger boost than usual and so yeah. i think that's the one we just hit right that that yeah. was the first big front across a lot of the country that hit you know from like the depending where you are somewhere between like the fifth and the eighth maybe somewhere in that ballpark um that was the first one of the fall where we went from like hot summer type temperatures to boom like it's fall now and so i think that one hits a little harder yeah. after this i think most years you get like steadier like ups and downs now there'll be like a little front and then stabilizes and a little front and then stabilizes um they're they're good um but i don't know if you ever match that first really really good one again um yeah. i will say that what you have is like a venn diagram imagine a venn mm-hmm. diagram where you've got like a cold front happening in one big circle and then you've got on the left side let's say like other good things that make deer hunting pop um whenever you can get that other good things that deer makes deer hunting pop really full of stuff and then intersect with the cold front you get a special moment and so i think when you have a big cold front hit when the first cold front hits in early october or whenever the beginning of your season is if you have a big cold front hit at the beginning of your hunting season you've got an extra special opportunity because you have that first cold front effect, which I just said is, is a special one, overlapped, right? The Venn diagram overlaps with the extra special opportunity you have at the beginning of the season before deer are really pressured too much. They're on a better yeah. feed pattern, and they're doing deer things before we mess it up. So that's an extra special opportunity. The problem that folks get into in mid-October, and the reason why many people experience a lull, is that hunting pressure has now changed deer movement food sources have changed which results in deer changing how they operate bedding cover is starting to reduce as leaves fall or corn gets picked or whatever it is so all of these changes are happening between you know late september or mid-september and mid-october lots and lots of stuff has changed so all of that leads to like a wildly different game board on october 15th so when that cold front hits on october 15th for a lot of guys, it's harder to take advantage of it because they haven't caught up to all those changes. Yep. If you are one of those rare hunters who is dialed in enough to know how the food source changed, if they haven't pressured their deer yet, if they know how the bedding's adjusted, if they know where these deer have shifted to once they made their September shift, if they have all that dialed in and they haven't screwed it up yet, they've got a great opportunity when the big front hits on the 15th too. I just think that's a relatively small proportion of the hunting public that's there. Um, now, fast forward. I know you told me not to talk about the later part of October, but I'm going to do it anyways. If you fast forward to like late October, now all of a sudden things are back in favor for your average deer hunter because now you've got that boost of the pre-rut. Testosterone is rising. Bucks are getting excited again about trying to find does. Now they're a little bit less uh, bothered by the hunting pressure because they're willing to forgive a few things because they want that, you know, they want some loving. So they're starting yeah. to move a little more than usual. They're starting to prioritize females a little bit more than usual. They're a little bit more forgiving. They're a little bit more daylight active because of those things. So now, you know, hunters can again start seeing a little more activity, even if they didn't make the right adjustments two weeks ago. They've got like a get out of jail free card coming their way because of the rut. And now if the cold front hits on top of that, 
now you have that really, really loaded side of the Venn diagram with like good things for hunting intersecting with the Venn diagram yep. for the cold front. And so you've got this like huge opportunity again. So that late October cold front can be an absolute banger for a lot of people just because it's a little, there's, there's all these other things stacked up to help you out. Yeah. The next question that I have is not necessarily, I don't know. It's about cold fronts, but it has nothing to do with really the deer per se or the strategy per se, but on the days of the week in which the cold front landed, the cold front, this past cold front landed on a Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, meaning just, just purely based off those days, more people are going to be in the woods, right? Do you think that the hype of this past cold front would have changed if it was a Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday scenario? That's very interesting. Um, and I would say it probably would not be as hype because mm-hmm. to, to your point, like not as many people would be able to hunt it. A lot of folks are on those, the weekend hunting schedule. And so if that big front hits midweek, you're just at the well. Um, and everyone's yeah. just going to be sitting there looking at their phones, looking at camera pictures or looking at the weather forecast and thinking, man, I wish I was hunting. Um, right. But yeah, this past one was like on the dot. Perfect for on the dot. Um, so you had first big cold front of the year. You had it happening pretty early in the season for a lot of folks. So they've got the yep. relatively unpressured deer. Plus it's on a weekend. Um, I mean, it was a lot of things converging to make for a special early season period. And I yep. think we saw, I mean, I don't know what your Instagram feed looked like, but I've seen so many dead deer on yep. my social feeds over the last four or five days. I mean, it's blown up. It felt like It felt like late October, early November is what it felt like as far as being the success rate yeah but here's the thing like i i agree with you that the feeds were blowing up but you know who i felt the people that i following that found success and i'm not saying all of them but i'm saying if i was going to look at percentage wises i'm looking at people who have all those odds stacked in their favor like Managed property food plot guys were the people who found success on this last cold front. And that, yes, there was guys who went out into some public and got the job done and they get the job done. But I feel like it was heavily weighted towards the people who had uh, like more control over the, over the properties that they hunted. Sure. And I would say that might be true, but yeah. if we didn't have a cold front, that would still be true, right? So imagine we yeah. had last weekend without the cold front. It would have been, been the same thing. We would have seen a few people kill some deer, and it probably would have been like the famous guys with the big managed land. It's because they yep. at that higher baseline. Yep. And it's going to be yep. the same thing if you fast forward to late October. Um, it's just that in late October, the baseline for everybody else moves up too because even on public land, things get a little bit better in late October because of the pre-rut, because of all of these other things. So yeah. I, I still think the cold front does not change how it's how it's going to impact you if you're on public versus managed land. It's just that you've got that different starting point. So when the front yeah. hit, everybody bumps up 10 points. But yeah, the managed land guy, like he's got so many other things going for him that it's more likely yeah. he'll end up killing something just because he started so much, you know, he started up yeah. so much more advantage than the rest of us. Mm-hmm. And, and obviously not everybody who hunts posts their shit on Instagram. And so like, yeah, there was a lot of dead deer and man, I, I don't know. I just like, it's, it's a hard time believing in something that I've never see, seen, 
well, or, or I very rarely seen. I had one year where I, I hit a cold front. Uh, I think it was like October 7th and I, I hunted a morning hunt and that morning hunt produced two shooter deer coming out of this little block of timber dropping down into a buffer strip into a field. This was before the crops were picked in it and they bedded down way what they actually came in downwind of me and, and bedded downwind of me. And I don't know if they smelled me or not, but I, I didn't go after them. Right. So, so other than that time, and then this picture that I got from the, my number one buck this year at five thirty. I like it's still very hard for me to jump on board. It's and it's it's like, hey, I want you to believe in something that you've never seen before, right? It's like faith, right? You got hey, have faith in the cold front type of type of scenario. Sometimes it pays off, sometimes it doesn't. But I don't know, man. I just feel like it's hard, like for me, it's really hard to jump on board of something that I've never had success with. So I don't understand. This is like the craziest thing I've ever heard. Um, are you telling me you don't even think cold fronts help increase deer movement at all? Any time of the year? No, or no, 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 no. Is it just like nope. early in October? Not, I'm saying the first two weeks of October. Okay. Have I seen, dude, I have seen a cold front come through that first week in November and literally light switch the rut on. Yeah. Right. And I mean, going from doll, doll sits October or November 1st, 2nd, 3rd to cold front came through on like the fourth or whatever. And it just like it exploded everything. So it's not that I don't believe cold fronts are, are beneficial anytime, just my experience with them in early October results in not much man yeah so i think that goes back to like the baseline thing yeah like i think our baseline deer activity like your baseline deer activity those first two weeks of october is generally lower than it's gonna be mm-hmm. november right yep so i would go back to like you just might be having your cameras or where you're hunting in, and and you you very rarely hunt those parts of the year anyways dan right i mean yep. you hunt right. a ton early november you know, historically, yep. you've hunted very little in the first two weeks of October. So part of this might also be like, you're just not out there to see it. Or if yeah. you are, you know, maybe maybe you're not in the places where that early October movement is happening on your properties. Like I know you've got it dialed for the rut. Yep. Um, maybe they're just doing something different at that time of year. Um, yeah. Because also, like, you hunt a lot of places, like very managed stuff all around you, right? Yeah. So... I'm not surprised when, when I start thinking about this like in some of the places I know you've hunted in the past where there's food plots all over the neighboring property. There's standing mm-hmm. food all over you. Um, there's so many great spots for deer to bed and feed around you. Yeah. And then you're in this property that's next to all that, but mm-hmm. you don't have these beautiful food plots on your land. It's all in the neighbors. So it does not surprise yep. me at all that early season, yeah. late season, a lot of your deer are off on your neighbors and then only during the rut do you get all the yeah. past direction happening. So this might just be like a circumstantial thing, Dan, that you are yeah. kind of unique in. Yeah. Well, I, I will say this too. Um, crops usually come out in this, on, on in the areas that I hunt somewhere between October 15th and Halloween. Okay. And so the first two weeks of October means the crops are in means 
like you said, way more cover, way more places for them to go and hide. And so maybe that, and, and when the crops do come out, I do see an uptick in trail camera movement because, you know, obviously the deer are being pushed into the, the timber more or the, you know, the, the places where there's no, no ag. And so that probably has something to do with it too. Um, and so Dan, I think kind of interrupting here, but I think yep. the question then becomes like for you, the question is like, is it worth trying to pounce on a cold front for you in those first two weeks of October? And that's a yeah. question and it might not yep. be worth it for you. I, I yeah. think, I think it can be worth it for a lot of people, in a lot of scenarios, but in your situation, a 10% boost in deer activity might not be enough to help you at that time of the year because of right. the other things going on because of yeah. the standing crop effect, because of your neighbors who've got the best things in the world the deer could ever want on October 4th. Um, yep. And so the 10% boost might not be enough to make it worth whatever impact it might be for you. Um, yeah. The question is like, if you were to dive in more and explore more and scout more at that time of year, maybe you could find the thing that does work at that time of the year. Maybe not. Maybe the cars yeah. are too stacked against you because of, you know, so-and-so's 72 acres of green fields right next to you that every deer wants to be on. Um, yeah. It's like, that's a fair thing to wonder about. That's a fair thing to consider. Um, but, but man, when you have deer that are on a bed to feed pattern, when you can hunt deer on a bed to feed pattern in the yeah. first two weeks of October, when you have that and you have the cold front, and if you don't mess it up with poorly executed hunts, you have a boost, you have an opportunity. Yeah. I'm not saying it's guaranteed. I'm not saying it's going to work for everybody, but if you have that kind of scenario, whether it's public land or private, there's a chance for a little, for it to be a little better. That's what a cold yeah. front does. It just makes things a little bit earlier, it makes things a little bit more exaggerated. Um, yeah. so when you have that thing dialed in, that little boost is often all it takes for that to be dark or daylight. Yeah. And I will say this, man, I like, I don't care what time of day it is. And we have this conversation about afternoon hunts, early season versus morning hunts, uh, yeah. early season uh, as well. And I, I will go after a deer any time of year in any condition, if I have enough data to go do that, whether that is an in the tree sighting or whether that's trail camera data. Right. Um, and like, so I'll go after a deer whenever necessary. I have the luxury of being able to do that on a Tuesday. Right. Um, but which leads me to my next question is an early season cold front for the guy who has very limited time to hunt. He's a, he has two weeks of vacation, let's say. And he's going to use one of those weeks of vacation on a, let's say, a a rut hunt because obviously the statistics show that that's their best time of year to be in the woods to see the most deer movement. Is it worth taking out of that pool of time and moving it into an early season cold front, um, knowing that your then rutcation will be shorter? Yeah, so I, I think that is a good question and a tough one to think about. It's like it's an important one to think about. Maybe is yeah. how I should frame it. Um, and I think it depends on two things. It depends on number one: is this person trying to kill a specific buck, or just trying to kill deer, or any yep. buck, right? Yep. If you're if you're trying to kill any buck, the rut is still like your best time to do that, like you said. Yep. Um, but if you're trying to kill a specific buck, 
October in general is usually a safer bet because these deer are on a little bit more pattern. They're in a tighter area and it's easier to kill a specific deer when it's on a consistent or relatively consistent bed to feed pattern on average. Um, So then the second question then is, do you have something dialed in? Like, do you have the opportunity to hunt a bed to feed pattern? Do you have a property where you're able to learn a deer and figure them out well enough to, to put a targeted strike. Like an October hunt, usually, especially if you're after a specific buck, has to be like a smart targeted strike. You can't just randomly hunt spots all day in a travel corridor and something mm-hmm. will eventually come through, right? Right. For people to consistently kill, especially like a mature buck in October, usually it has to be like, man, I know they're keying on this food source. I've got a really slick way to get in for the afternoon hunt. I've got conditions when the wind direction is going to be right. And it's, you know, a reasonable set of conditions that this deer might move in daylight and I'm close to the bedroom. Like all these things have to stack up to kill a deer in early October or mid October. Usually. If you have that set of scenario, if you have those circumstances where you've got a pattern on a deer, you know him well, you can get in to hunt a bed to feed pattern. And then you get that front. I think that can be worth a vacation day or two. Okay. Uh, because what you got to remember, and this is something that someone reminded me of the other day, you don't know what November is going to bring you. Right. right? We might get 75 degrees and sunny for 10 straight days in November, like we did last year for a lot of us, right? So you don't want to miss out on those cold fronts when you get them. Um, if you have like all these other circumstances, right? So if I have two weeks, you you, you told me this, you know this example scenario with two weeks of vacation. I still want that week of vacation in the rut because that's just special, but I would like to take a day or two here or there scattered throughout to take the shots on my pattern deer. Yep. And I yep. probably would time them with, if I get a big cold front or if I, you know, the front doesn't have to be the thing. If you see daylight activity despite a front, that's mm-hmm. still a thing. Like we're just trying to get deer yep. to move in daylight and somewhere we can hunt them. If it yep. doesn't take a cold front, who cares? hunt the deer, you know, don't leave fish to find fish. Listen to what the deer are telling you. If the deer is telling you, Hey, I'm moving in daylight based on a picture or an observation, that's just as good as a, as a cold front to the cold front. We're just hoping we'll get a deer daylight. If he already is like hunt him if you can in a smart way. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I like the idea of taking scattered shots throughout the month of October or, you know, if you don't get those fronts, then the later part of October is usually when the other things start trending up, giving you that better opportunity. Um, yeah. But yeah, my my usual strategy in October is I hunt the first day or two, regardless of what the conditions are. And then I listen to what the deer tell me over the course of that month. If I'm seeing them in daylight, I'll start hunting them. If I have a front coming through, that'll give me a reason to maybe take a, take a swing. If I'm not getting any sign of him moving in daylight, if I have no good weather conditions, I'm probably hunting other places where I'm not trying to kill a big old buck or I'm just waiting. And, you know, waiting till those other things give me something in my favor, which, as talked about, typically starts happening as you get closer to the road. Okay. Yeah, man, it's so so tricky, right? I mean, everybody's, everybody's scenario is different, right? I mean... There's a lot of people that think I'm crazy for saying that, for saying that, but then there's also guys who, who agree with me. I would, I would say that realistically, um, based off of the, 
the comments that I've read, and this is all social, right? And so the comments is like 60% of people think I'm crazy and that cold fronts play an absolutely huge impact. And then the 40% who are like, man, I'm kind of with you, Dan. I, I don't like, and maybe that's because of the vacation situation and they just decide, hey, I'm going to commit a long period or like a big chunk of time in in, uh, in November to, to putting myself in the best position as opposed to an early season to, you know, scattering like what you said. So I don't know, man, it's, it's a very interesting conversation. And, um, you know, a lot of people base their strategy and base their, um, when they're going to hunt off of their past experiences, you know, and, and not necessarily weather conditions or, you know what I mean? Like that. So, so yeah, man, I, uh, it's, a anything else that you would want to add about cold fronts or strategy for this early season based off of your own, your experiences? I mean, I think the, the biggest, the, there's two, two big things and I've, I've already said them, but I'll kind of try to put a bow on it. Like number one, the impact of any outside factor, whether it's a cold yeah. front, whether it's precipitation, whether it's barometric pressure, whether it's, if you believe in the moon stuff, like any of that kind of thing, it will never take you from 10% to 90%. Yeah. It's always going to depend on where your baseline is. It's going to be a boost, but it's only going to take you as far as your baseline will allow you to. So mm -hmm. again, like if your baseline opportunity level is crap, it's down there at 5% because you're not in the right place and you've overhunted it and you've got lots of pressure around you, then a cold front's not going to really help you all that much. Yeah. If your baseline is up there at 75% because you have highly managed pressure or unpressured land and food plots, and all that kind of stuff. Well then, yeah, cold front's going to make that 10% bump from 75 to 85. is going to be like, yeah, man, this is great. So everyone's got to remember, like, think about where your baseline is. Do everything you can to raise your baseline, whether you hunt public or private, pressured or unpressured, right? We should all be trying to raise our baseline, which is understanding where the deer are at this time of year understanding mm -hmm. how to access them without them knowing it, understand how to pick the right wind directions to be in the right location, understanding where the food is, understanding where the bedding is, understanding how the terrain, like you, you got to get all that stuff right to raise your baseline. You got to raise your floor. And then once your floor is up at a manageable level, then you can take advantage of that cold front. Right? Mm -hmm. So I think we've got to be clear that cold fronts are not going to save the day. They're not going to take right. from zero to hero. They will only bump you up as much as your floor will let it bump you up. Okay, so that's number yep. one. Number two, I do think it is a mistake to think that you can only kill a big old buck on a cold front. Like, I, I think it's, I believe strongly that cold fronts help. I think they give you a boost, but they are not necessary. And if you ignore what the deer are telling you because the weather doesn't seem right, that is a huge mistake. And these days, we love to talk about the weather. We love to talk about the fronts. There's podcasts like mine and other people's and shows and there's apps. There's all these different things that tell you how good it's supposed to be based on an algorithm, based on the weather, based on the moon, whatever crap it is, right? I don't care about any of that if the deer are telling me, hey, I'm moving right now. Yeah. This is something that's easy to fall prey to. Like I am guilty of sometimes thinking, well, I shouldn't hunt right now because it's you're not, they're not supposed to be moving right now. But if that deer is telling you, hey, I'm moving, 
because you saw him or you've got daylight pictures or whatever it is, if that's if you have that, that's more important than any prediction. That's more important than any cold front coming. That's more important than anything. That's all that really matters. So do not ignore what the deer are telling you. Jump on that before you jump on a front or an app or whatever. Dude, I am so glad you ended with that because that is really the premise of all of these conversations that we have is know your deer herd. Really, like, like the conversation for me is always about rut timing, right? So a lot of people think November 1st is just the, the rut starts on November. So in the farms that I have, I know my deer herd, and and the best time for me to go out and hunt is that first week of uh, November because it's still pre-rut. And so the bucks are susceptible to calling. Uh, they're not locked down by any means yet. And maybe some of them are, but majority of the deer are not in breeding uh, in a breeding position yet, and that's what I take advantage of. And so there's a different strategy for everybody based off of what their deer is telling them. And I think you absolutely nailed it there with that last one. And, and uh, because if it's 95 and your deer are saying, Hey, let's, you know, come try to shoot me, dude, you go to the stand and you sweat. You better do it. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, speaking well, of, speaking of real quick, Dan, speaking of uh, yep. you knowing your deer herd and the time of year, I just yep. saw your pretty face in North American whitetail with some quotes talking about that very thing. You're getting awfully big time, Dan Johnson. Yeah, right. I'm no Mark Kenyon, but I, 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 I got some friends that show me some, show me, uh, throw some scraps my way. You're looking good on the pages of North American whitetail, buddy. I was excited. Did, did, did you see who like that, that, those two pages that were put together, there's four people on them. I'm one of them. But did you see who the other people on that page were? It was like, like Greg Miller, uh, Mark Drury, Bill and Winky. Nick Munt. Yeah, Bill Winky was in that article. Dan Infault was in that article, and I'm just like, uh, like I am completely outclassed on on this on this article. Dan, you are in rarefied company, man. You are <laughs> you are you're on the Mount Rushmore these days, buddy. I'm excited for. Oh you. yeah. Right, right. Well, hey, dude. Uh, good luck the rest of the season, man. Uh, I appreciate you taking time to hop on the on the podcast. And uh, man, uh, good luck, dude. Thanks, buddy. When are you? Uh, when's your next hunt? Uh, my next hunt might be this th- this weekend. Right. You know, like one thing we didn't talk about, and we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna talk about it now, but it's. I don't necessarily believe in cold fronts in this first two weeks of October, but here's what I do believe in long periods of rain, which tend to come with cold fronts, right? We have a scenario here in Iowa where the front is just like delayed, right? So we have multiple days of rain off and on for, um, you know, for like three or four days in a row, we got a day of a hundred percent rain uh, where it's just like, it's going to be rainy and crappy all the way until Saturday morning in um, when that front finally pushes out. And so Saturday night, my goal is Saturday night because I've found the greatest success statistically is being in the woods when the rain stops. And what, if that can land, like what it's going to land, like I'll be completely honest, I hope my my boys soccer games and baseball games get canceled because dude it's gonna hit perfect like crappy all morning 
and then that front is finally just going to finish. It's going to go to sunny. Uh, clouds are going to push through, and it's going to that next 24 hours could be could be something special. Yeah, no, I've seen the same thing. When those yep. rain fronts pass through, it's it's pretty darn good. I actually killed my Wisconsin buck uh, in this, that exact scenario. It'd been raining all like the night before, all through the early morning. As soon as that rain passed, there he is. So yeah, it's a good time to be out there. Absolutely, man. Okay, now thank you very much. <laughs> good luck the rest of the season, and uh, man, we'll be in touch. Sounds good, buddy. Good luck. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, another episode in the books. Huge shout out to Mark. Huge shout out to all of you for taking time out of your day. Man, good vibes, right? It's this time of year where uh, take care of the responsibilities at home and then get out into the woods or the fields or wherever it is you're going to spend your time and hunt your balls off while you can. Take care of the things at home so those home things don't come with you to the timber, okay? Okay. also wear your damn safety harness this isn't the time of year to take risks get in a tree buckle up hook up and be safe period right there's other people who love you and other people who rely on you every single day and you can't jeopardize that uh huge shout out to tethered wasp vortex code blue woodman's pal huntworth and full sneak gear please go out and support the companies that support this podcast and uh man it's that time of year, man. I'm going to be, uh, the next time you hear this voice, I will be preparing for, like, so I'll have another episode that launches on Friday. Listen to that one. And then the next week I will have another episode as well. Uh, probably just one that week. And I'm going to be, uh, in, uh, South Dakota, really just trying to hammer it all out. And so, uh, uh, Man, really looking forward to that hunt like I do every year. I want to kill a mule deer so bad, and uh, I know where some live. I just have to get out there and go track them down. So good vibes in, good vibes out, and we'll talk to you next time.